Hey gang, it's Harold. I'm podcasting to you from the bunker. In the interest of distracting myself and my gaming friends, I'm reaching out to some interesting people to ask them what they're doing game-wise. With such a big time dividend, I want to hear what they're playing, designing, and thinking about. No CNN, no CNBC, just games. My production obsession will have to be put on hold as I'm most interested in communicating with you rapidly and with some interesting content. This podcast documents a discussion I had with Liz Davidson. Liz runs the Beyond Solitaire channel on YouTube and the Beyond Solitaire blog. Hello, Liz. Hey, I think that worked. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you great. That's Uh, awesome. Very nice. Sometimes this old trick of just turning something off and turning it back on is the best best way. It happens so much with Skype. You know, using Zoom uh, and preparing to use Zoom to administer classes next quarter, it's just mm-hmm. such a superior product. And, it, you know, Skype missed the opportunity by trying to be everybody's telephone, not realizing that at some point we don't really need another telephone. Yeah, I was able to adjust all that stuff, like, in Zoom, just that bottom left corner. I actually had a Zoom meeting this morning with some other Latin teachers. You know, like that, you're right. Yes, yes. So, well, good for Zoom. And... um so, so Liz, a pleasure, first of all, this is the first time we've talked, so a pleasure to meet you phone to phone or whatever it is. Yes, indeed. We're doing here. Um, and uh, is your, by the way, is your garage band on? Uh, no, I should start recording now, yes? Yes, if you don't mind, and I'll just, we'll just roll right. Do you need me to right. clap or anything? Sorry? Do you mean to do like the creepy clapping or anything? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm not sure what that is, but. Oh, it's like sometimes people clap at the same time to line up the audio. Oh, I love it. No, I don't, I'm I'm much better at audio than that. Oh, awesome. Okay, I'm starting right now. Okay, we're recording. <laughs> yeah, I'm j- I'm just teasing. I'm not any good at this at all. So, um, <laughs> so we'll we'll see how it goes. But a pleasure to meet you. And um, a few ground rules, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So, first, no medical discussions. Uh, secondly, no political discussions. And third, no financial markets discussions. How about that? That is fine. <laughs> Good. You know, I'm trying to create some content for gamers that has little to do with yeah. CNN and more to do with the stuff that we love. And um, I think it's it's just so important that we all try to connect in any way we can. So, you know, I'm calling friends and people that I'd like to know and uh, just asking them what they're doing during the break. Uh, but it might be great if you could start, Liz, with, uh, you know, the, the the place that I met you online was you did a video with Tom Vassell uh, about favorite war games. And, uh, you know, Tom was, Tom did okay. Uh, and, but, but, you know, I, I just, I was impressed with how serious you are about historical simulations. So talk a little bit about your channel and what you do and and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a channel that is dedicated to solo board gaming specifically. It is called Beyond Solitaire, as in going beyond just playing Klondike Solitaire. So if you look for Beyond Solitaire on YouTube, Board Game Geek, Instagram, Facebook, basically anywhere, you will find me. And I actually am an omni gamer in practice. I like to play all kinds of solo games. I just really enjoy gaming, but my interest in historical games specifically in the last couple of years has been deepening. 
Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I actually am an ancient historian by training. And I really like games that engage with history in ways that give me something to read afterwards or before or during. That give me something extra to think about. That kind of push my gaming to the next level for me. And that's really been leading me in some interesting directions in terms of stuff that I've been enjoying playing. I have some solo war game tutorials on my channel with more to come. And that's actually a direction I've been developing in. And I think it's really exciting. So it, that, yeah, stay tuned for more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so I love the fact that, uh, that, that you're a, a trained historian and you teach Latin, which uh, certainly uh, helps when, uh, when messing with the ancients. Um, is there, have you done any historical stuff in your, on your channel to date? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have, uh, tutorials for Wars of Marcus Aurelius. I have a tutorial for Agricola Master of Britain. I did a preview for By Stealth and Sea from David Thompson. I've done Pavlov's House. I will do Castle Itter. Um, I don't know if you really count as historical exactly, given that it has a World War III scenario, but I adore Thunderbolt Apache Leader. Um... I reviewed Undaunted Normandy on Dice Tower. It's a light war game recently. And I actually have some Conflict of Heroes Awakening the Bear 3rd Edition gameplay that's getting ready to get filmed and put on my channel. And I mean, in terms of what I have versus what I filmed, that's a different matter. So I play a lot of really heavy games, but I've been thinking hard about how to make efficient tutorials for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, we all struggle with how do we take advantage of the the media that's available to us to to teach. I talked with Mark Herman a couple of days ago, and and he's uh, he's he's making a run at at getting stuff online and and um, and and doing some videos with the intention of really spending it teaching his games. Yeah, and I think that I mean my instinct is always to teach. That's that's my job, and I guess I can't stop doing it in my hobby either. <laughs> So I'm always looking for the best ways to convey a board game. And that can be hard. Sometimes people want complete playthroughs, but other people just want sample turns. Some people seem happy with rules videos. And so trying to find that sweet spot where somebody can get a lot out of your video without putting too much of their time in is an interesting process, especially as my games get heavier and take up more of the table. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just the simple exercise of doing a podcast, um, it, it is, um, I struggle with how much time to spend editing and forming the components into a, into a little show of a one hour versus just, you know, turning stuff out. And actually that was, that's kind of my goal here is to refine the process, at least during this uh, time where we all need each other a little more and, and need to communicate through these media I was really rethinking how do I create a podcast that I can get out with some interesting content, but I don't have to spend hours and hours producing. Yeah, actually on my own channel, I also enjoy interviewing people partially because, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same time sync aspect as making a tutorial does, but also you get such interesting information out of people. Um, I really like hearing what game designers have to say, especially I think war game designers because so much research goes into those games and it's always really surprising what people have found along the way to making the games that entertain you. And then there's like entertaining stories behind that. So I'm hoping to hear some good stuff from you. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I think that, um, 
I agree with you, and and at least from my perspective, I'm not a very interesting person. But the people that are interesting are are the people that I interview, and and I love to to ask a few questions and and just let them run on whatever topic is of interest. And you always get great stories and and great bits of information. So let me let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you ready? Absolutely, I'm an open book. Okay, here we go. So, um, what's your what's your favorite game related to ancients? Ooh. And you can I, you don't have to qualify it so strictly that it's your favorite, but a couple you like or something like that. Oh sure. I mean for a light game, I'll probably pull out Wars of Marcus Aurelius. It's so simple to set up and play. And I really like cards that you pay for with other cards and that sort of economy within a game. So that one really works for me for a work night. But I really, really like both Falling Sky and Pendragon. I find it really interesting to look at games that represent non-Romans and how they interact with Romans and looking into the history that goes behind all those event cards, that really fascinates me. And so I've been spending more and more time with uh, coin games that are set in Rome. And I actually have a game on my shelf that I need to play. It's I just have to get around to it because I absolutely found a copy of Republic of Rome that is just hanging out on my shelf. And I'm so excited to crack into it. It's just that, well, I mean, I guess I have lots of time stretching out before me at the moment, but how will I use it? I don't know. <laughs> That's great. You know, I picked that up after uh, I talked to Cole Worley and he explained that he was heavily influenced by that when he created John Company. And John Company's one, Interesting. Of, John Company's one of my favorite games as it relates to, to you know, it's, there's a lot of negotiation and, and uh and and I don't worry too much about the history, but but I really enjoy the mechanisms. And he said the mechanisms were highly influenced by uh, by uh, uh, by that game in particular. So um, I'm, I I have it as well, uh, and and I haven't I've played it once. I played it once with a bunch of people that knew it well, and I was completely lost, and that was tough. But uh, <laughs> but what what better way to what better way to pick it up, and especially a big multiplayer game like that, than with a bunch of people that know what they're doing? Yeah, I have not played John Company, although I absolutely would, given an opportunity. But I thought that Pax Premier was a beautiful expression of history through a game. And, you know, what's interesting is my favorite uh, war games and historical games are actually not typically ancient I'm really impressed with a lot of the work that David Thompson is doing in terms of the research that he puts into his games and the attention to detail and finding old photos and reading firsthand accounts of events. That level of commitment is something that really does it for me as a gamer. And Cole Worley clearly has a lot of those same instincts. I ended up reading books about the great game because I thought Pax Premier was so interesting and I wanted to know who all the people on the cards were, and I wanted to get a little bit further than that flavor text, and it ended up being a really enriching experience, both in terms of making my gameplay more fun, and in terms of appreciating a time in history that I had not appreciated before. And a, and a place in history that's mattered so much for so long for, for such strange reasons, right? Lo- oh yeah, a location. Yeah. And I think for me, that's that's what historical and war games do that other games don't, and that's why I think they're worth more attention than I think they get in the gaming community at large. So, um, what is it that makes the Hollenspiel games so special? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I've only played two of them. 
But I think what makes them special is, first of all, I'm very charmed by the rule books and the little wry comments in them. They're very, very clear and well laid out. And I like that they insert little bits of ancient text in there that is relevant to what the rules are talking about. To me, having it be a little bit thematic really makes it work. Um, and I think the rules are clear enough that people who have not played a lot of war games before will be able to pick them up. So I think it's, I think that's part of it. And I know that some people complain about the components and the component quality and, oh, they're ugly, but I kind of disagree. I find them very charming. And I think there's something homebrew and kind of, I don't know, there's something a little offbeat about them that I think is cool and not just the next big slick thing. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I see the same thing. I think that, you know, one of the other things that we talk about is that they print on demand, which means they can do a bunch of games and don't have to worry about the risks and the capital associated with printing 5,000 units and putting it on a shelf and hoping it sells. And, and, and so, so that leads to, that leads to a lot of cool games, but it also, you know, is, is the, is, is the, is the reason that it's not the, you know, the, the newest, slickest presentation, but man, it works and, and they have, there's some sort of magic there and I just can't put my finger on it. Yeah, well, you know, Latin, esse quam videri, to be rather than to seem, right? I've I've reviewed so many games that looked great and weren't that memorable after I played them. I would much rather play a game that doesn't look that special, but is special to play. No doubt the mechanisms are more important. So um, let's talk about the coin games. What do you find fascinating about the coin games? I think, especially as where the Roman ones are concerned, what fascinates me the most is... I actually feel like there aren't very many attempts to represent opponents of Rome in gaming. Does that make sense? If you play a game about Rome, a lot of times it's like, I'm the Romans. I'm so strong. Ah, you know, I'm going to go conquer everyone. And it was actually a much more complicated situation than that. I mean, Julius Caesar was an interesting historical figure, and I teach his texts to children. And I also know that he was a genocidal mass murderer. Right. <laughs> you know, if, if we're being honest... And I like the attempt to represent, you know, other tribes, the delicacy of a political situation, the difficult position of a group that is aligned with Rome, but has their own interests. I think that coin games are the most interesting expression of the complexity of relationships between groups in history. And like that shows up in Liberty or Death as well, which actually was the first coin game I ever played. Oh, great. And... You know, I liked I like that four faction setup where you're trying to work together a little bit, but not too much, and everybody has a slightly different goal. And the games are difficult to learn, and I do find the bots tiring sometimes. Yes. But I play them in, as a way of thinking about history, not necessarily as like, oh, let me play a fun game. Does that make sense? And I think there's value in that. And it's something that I really treasure i'm really glad that that series exists and that i'm getting more familiar with it i think i'll be ready to teach it soon (laughs) (laughs) but i'm taking my time because i want to release a really good series if that makes sense so so it's uh you bring up so many interesting topics i think volco with this system um really formalized something that we'd been tiptoeing around in war games for a long time but the fact that there are never just two people at the table 
when there is a conflict. Um, no. And so, you know, his ability starting in Colombia to bring four factions to the table um, is is uh, is terrific. And the way it works and the beautiful asymmetry, uh, he was he's, he was just really on to something. And then, um, you know, the, you talked about the Romans and the systems. I love um, Pendragon and uh, the work that Morgan did there. And, um, you know, she does a beautiful job of creating a system, right, that, 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 is, that is stable and working, and then you just watch it deteriorate over the game time. Oh, yeah. I not only love that game, but I would love to get a chance to talk to her about just Roman history stuff. She seems like the perfect person to just sit around and talk about Roman Britain with. You can see the love for that time period in that game. Yes, uh, she does, and, and Volko does too, and both of them come to our San Diego convention. So uh, if we can ever get you to San Diego in, in November, uh, subject to all this crazy uncertainty that we're in right now, it would be uh, it would be great, and you could spend some time with both of them, I hope. Yeah, I have I have hope. I'm an optimistic person by nature. Agreed. I think that's a good uh, that's a good path to take in this. Although perhaps as a historian, I should be more depressed about everything since, you know, history is not exactly a friendly subject. <laughs> it's not friendly, and it tends to repeat, doesn't it? Indeed. <laughs> so, um, what's next? What are you What are you looking forward to uh, reviewing and and um, and playing. So this is definitely my version of getting some comfort food out, but I absolutely pulled Mage Knight out today. Oh, awesome! <laughs> and <laughs> you know, I've um, it's just been I don't get to play it enough. It is my my number one solo game. I adore it, and I just thought to myself, you know what? I have this time. I could go on to the next new thing, or I could push myself in this way. But why don't I push myself to relearn? all the little rules of Mage Knight and have a good time with this game that I love so much. I've been talking about it recently. You know, I, I put it as number one on that, on the dice tower list that I did for just solo gaming as opposed to historical gaming. And I mean it. So why not live it? I, uh, as a reviewer, I think it's important to go back to games that you really love because they remind you how much you like games. It's a good way to, to stave off burnout and, I don't know how other people respond to having a lot of time on their hands, but I tend to fill it. I always have to have little projects. I tend to get more done during times like this than not. Um, so I'm trying to make sure that I'm spending a lot of that time on things that are going to make me happy and make me feel good as opposed to burning myself out on a grind that I created for myself. It's actually one of the reasons I did not stay in academia, even though I got my PhD, is that if I never go off the clock... I have a hard time relaxing. I am a worker by nature. And so times like this are actually really dangerous for me because my work ethic goes into overdrive because I see all of this time to fill. And instead of just chilling it, it's like, oh, I could be, I could do this. I could do that. I want to do everything. How do I make it all happen? And then before I know it, I'm all strung out and it should have been a time when I was taking a nap or something. <laughs> Right now, now it's funny to hear you say that because I think I'm the opposite. I, I'm most productive when I'm the busiest, and uh, when I have big time dividends, I struggle with with focus. Oh no! The year I wrote my dissertation and it was just my writing year. That was one of the most productive and satisfying years of my entire life. 
I really enjoyed that year. And I think that's not how most people feel about that year of their lives. But I really dug it. It was a good time. But then I thought about a future where I was always trying to come up with something to say. And I knew what that would do to me. What did you write your thesis <laughs> on? So I, my PhD is in ancient Christianity. Um, I studied Latin, Greek, and Coptic, which is the last phase of the Egyptian language. And my dissertation was about the sermons, which are still mostly unpublished, of Shaduta of Atripa, who was a monastic leader in Middle Egypt in the 4th and 5th centuries AD. And documented in Coptic, right? Indeed. Yep. He, was, uh, he is our most voluminous native Coptic author. Yeah, most Coptic is trans- translated text from Greek, but in Shenouda you can see some Coptic oratorical flourishes and stuff that you can't get anywhere else. Also, he was a complete jerk. Uh, I fell in love with him in undergrad when I read The Life of Shenouda, and among the things that happened were in this hagiographical text that he saw a guy that had a demon, and so he just picks up a wooden gong in the monastery and beats it out of the dude. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, you know, he wrote these letters. There's this, like, nunnery that was part of his federation. And the nuns hated him. Absolutely hated him. And so he writes all the... He visited them one time. And it did not go well. He attempted to rend his garments in the manner of an Old Testament prophet to express his unhappiness with them. And one of them accused him, basically, of stripping. And so he never visited them again. He just writes these really passive aggressive letters that say things like, wow, if you don't confess your sins to us, I wonder what will happen to all that food we send you. (laughs) And like, he complains about the clothes the nuns make for him. And just, it's hilariously testy. And I just find him such a fascinating figure. He's not a nice person at all. But... I prefer to surround myself in real life with nice people and to be nice. But in history, that's where I go examine people that I find unpleasant. Because I don't want them in my actual space. I just want to study them. <laughs> I love I love the idea of a passive-aggressive letter written in Coptic. Oh, yeah. They exist. Shenouda <laughs> was the master. <laughs> that's good. Well, let me... Uh, let me ask you something about solo gamers, since you yeah. since you study them a great deal in, in R1. What about, um, are there different archetypes of solo gamers, the different types of people? How do, you, how do you organize that when you think about it, or do you? Ooh, I, I mean, I think everybody is their own gamer, but I think within the solo community, there's a few different types. There are people who game solo as kind of a light, quick experience, just on a lunch break or in the evening. And so they maybe don't want to go get Mage Knight, but they totally want the Oniverse or Sprawlopolis. Does that make sense? Like they want something compact and quick. And then there are the people who like to get into these big involved adventures with huge complex rule sets on their own. And those are the people who are into things like Mage Knight or the ones who eventually fall off the deep end and go into like Coin World. (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) I mean, I'm both. I like to play games at all levels. And because I have a solo channel, I cover as wide a range as possible of games. But I think within solo gaming, you have people who do it either as a quick thing or there are people who play solo games, but they say, oh, no, it's just to learn the rules. I'm only playing this as all players one time because I want to teach my friends. So, you know, there's like the the less intense end and then there's the more intense end where I think I'm like this. I almost prefer 
I do prefer solo gaming to gaming with other people. I love social gaming. I have a game night. I run a club at my the school where I work. But I really, really, really like the experience of gaming by myself. I can be selfish. I can make my own decisions. I can leave it out of the table and come back whenever I want. And I think that there's a lot of appeal in that for a lot of people who like real chunky games. So let me give you a couple of other dimensions that I think about. And I'm, and, and once again, I'm, I'm thinking out loud as opposed to telling you my organization. But, you know, um, <laughs> I enjoy playing solo, but I play solo almost purely in God mode where you just, just make the decisions as if you were playing that side at that moment in time. And there are limits to, to how you can do that. Some games that certainly card-driven games are problematic in that way. Um, but but that's how I like to play. Now, there's another dimension that I see, and, and it comes from this analysis, is I watch the comments that come in uh, for rules clarifications for uh, Liberty or Death. The vast majority of comments, so I would say 85% of questions, come about the solo system. And I think that's driven for two reasons. One is that the solo system is, is, uh, is, is more complex than it needs to be, and, and I think the next couple of generations are going to simplify that. Uh, the work that, um, that uh, Bruce Mansfield and Jason Carr and Volko and Mark Herman are doing on Fall of Saigon, we'll, we'll see a very different solo system that will be much simpler to execute. But the other thing that I've noticed is that these people really want to live by the rules. They don't, there's, there's really no tolerance for rules that um, are vague or don't make sense. They want the rules to tell them exactly how to play their opponents. You know, what's interesting is I'm definitely not a God mode solo player. I strongly prefer to play against some sort of AI. I typically will not run all sides of a game. I'll run multiple hands against the same bad guy. But I generally will not play all sides of a game and just play the best for each faction on their turn. But one thing that is interesting is that honestly, if I did not make YouTube videos where people care about rules and ask me questions about them, I really would not care about a little bit of vagueness in the rules. I mean, life is messed up and you're doing a war simulation and war is messed up. So why wouldn't there be occasional situations where the <laughs> rules are messed up? But, you know, if I'm making, if I'm just playing myself and I don't totally know a rule, I don't stop and look it up. I just keep going and do whatever seems right in the moment and just do what seems fun. And I just keep playing and I might look it up later. Uh, it's only when I'm presenting the game to somebody else that I get more concerned about that because I know that my audience demands a higher standard of correctness than I do in my own play. Although I think if we all think about it, I mean, how often do you play a game perfectly? I think that we all mess up games all the time and we just don't know because there's no one to say on YouTube that, oh, at 13 minutes and 12 seconds, <laughs> you made an error. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree, right? You don't have the You don't have the hive watching your every move. And I think we, I think that that it the it's a faux sensitivity to to and a desire to be perfect because we just can't be. And there are too many rules, and the games are too complex, and there are too many exceptions. And um, and and even where there aren't, even where things are clear, we make mistakes. We move things to a place where they can't move accidentally. 
Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree that it's just impossible. It's an impossible standard. One of the questions I like to ask people just when we're talking casually about gaming archetypes is when you, uh, when you're playing a game and you're three quarters of the way through and you realize you've been doing something wrong, what do you do? And, and there's a variety of responses, right? So, so for me, I'll keep playing. Maybe I'll change the rule and start doing it right. Maybe I'll just use the old rule. It is modified. Yeah, but I just finish. I'm not gonna like scrap it after all that. Yeah, there are plenty of people though that that I can't I can't continue, and they they say I have to start over or else I move to something else. But there that ruins the experience, which is real, that is right? So it's, interesting. It, it, it's real. It's human, right? I mean, I, I'm not criticizing it. We know, you know, we know that it exists and people do that. Um, but it's just a different, you know. As I as I'm trying to parse who we are and how we play games, probably more about how we play games rather than who we are, but who knows? Right. Um, That's one of the dimensions I see. Well, I've said this in other venues, but this is really how I feel about games. Um, And I mean, this, I play fairly intellectually serious games, at least some of the time, but all the same games are meant to be fun and games are meant to serve you and not the other way around. My games are my toys. I had somebody get really offended one time when I referred to games as toys. They are. We, we push little dudes around on a map and we have our little army men and it's fun. And it should be. But my games, my game collection exists to make me happy and be my hobby. And so I feel like I'm well within my rights to do whatever I want with those games as long as I'm having fun. Especially because I play solo and so I'm not affecting anybody else's gameplay experience by doing what I want on my table in my house. So, I mean, it's, and also again, it really is just a game. The games are amazing. They're incredible ways to express, especially when you're talking about history, you know, situations that are complicated and messy and conflict ridden, but they're still games and they should be enjoyable. You're, you're meant to enjoy them. Yes, absolutely. Well, that Liz, that's probably a great place to, to end here. I appreciate you spending the time and uh, let me close with uh, wishing you and your family uh, good health and good times through this challenging time period. Thank you very much. So far, so good. And same to you. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a delight to meet you over Skype today. It's been great. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely.